Discover the magic of integrating your financial, legal, and life planning. It's time for Smart Simple Wealth. Back again for another edition of Smart Simple Wealth. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Carrie Qureshi, estate and wealth planning attorney at Qureshi Law and Wealth, serving you throughout Arkansas, Tennessee, and Texas. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about the importance of having a volatility buffer, that challenge in building an effective retirement plan, especially one for income, is to use available income tools and tactics in a strategic manner to meet the financial goals of retirement, while also managing the risks confronting those goals. And our conversation today will center around that volatility risk. Before we dive further in, Carrie, it is great to be with you once again. How are you doing this week? I'm doing great, Walter. A little hot these days, but can't complain. We're in the thick of it now, but don't complain because before you know it, it'll be too cold and we'll be. I know. Uh, I'm going to take, I take the heat. I live in the South. I'm going to take the heat any day over ice and snow. Are you guys doing any big trips? Or are you sticking around home mostly this summer? We're sticking around home. I mean, we were able, we put in a pool this year in the backyard for the kids. Both oh, the nice. kids have uh, summer birthdays. They're July and August birthdays. So that there went all of our vacation and travel money. And, you know, with gas prices, I think we're just kind of staying at home and enjoying the backyard. Good choice. Absolutely. What kind of uh, pool setup did you do? Is that you in, in ground and... Uh... Yeah, we did an in ground with the fiberglass. So they kind of okay. bring the whole mold, they dig the big hole, they set it down, and then nice. they just, you know, do the concrete and everything. It'll take a while to kind of get it the way we want it. You know, we'll kind of do a little bit at a time because there's still fencing and landscape. You know, you got to work with the budget mm-hmm. there. But we were sure. just super excited to have a pool while the kids are little um, and to really enjoy it. That's awesome. They, uh, is it like a, I'm guessing you don't have like an eight foot diving board type uh, setup in the in the deep end if it's uh, more more intended for the smaller kid size. It is because Catherine's only two. And so we yeah. actually did one of those beach entry. So like a third oh, of it is really like you cool. just walk in and it's like toddler, like soup, like a couple of inches yeah. of water. And so for me, like I don't want to, you know, swim laps. I want to like sit in a chair with a little bit of water up and read okay. a book. So that beach entry is like perfect for me and the toddler. And then you can kind of swim in the deep end, but it's not, you know, no diving board or slide. I mean, you can just kind of swim yeah. around and cool off, but it's really, really neat the way that they design those now. That is very cool. That beach entry is neat. It reminds me of like the wave pools when you go to uh, like a water park, you know, and they, they do yes. that same, that same kind of feeling where for a while you've got places where you can just put your chairs in. And then if you want to join the craziness of where the waves are in the deeper part, you can go out there. But yeah, I love that. That was my big thing. I wanted to look like the ocean and tan, you know, on the beach entry and then blue yeah. in the deep end. So that's really neat. Very cool. Well, hope you just uh, continue to enjoy that throughout the summer. What a blast that'll be for the family. Uh, well, let's talk about volatility. You certainly won't be experiencing that in your pool since you have that nice, comfortable beach walk-in. But if you were to just dive off the diving board, you'd experience a little volatility as you go under the water and feel the splash and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we have this, this issue. The primary financial goal for most retirees, well, it relates to spending, right? Maximizing mm-hmm. spending power in such a way that spending can remain consistent and sustainable. We don't want drastic reductions in retirement, uh, no matter how long it lasts. You know, even if we're 30 or 40 years into it, we need that predictability during those years. And the older you get, the more important that predictability becomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, other important goals may also include leaving assets for subsequent generations, maintaining sufficient reserves for things like unexpected expenses and those contingencies in retirement, which hint, hint, you can see, as we say on the show all the time here, that magic of integrating your financial, legal, and life planning together. In today's world, in order to accomplish all of those goals, you've got to have a volatility buffer 
built into your retirement plan. And Carrie, I know this is something that you do for every client. So let's dive into this a little bit. What are the three major categories of risk that every retirement income plan is going to face? Right. You know, and I, I think this is very unique to retirement planning, right? Not just financial planning, but clients that are in or near retirement. And you really are thinking about how do we take all these assets and figure out how to spend them down, right? And we're trying to create this income stream and get a new paycheck back during retirement. But, you know, we see these, these three major categories of risk are longevity, market volatility, and spending shocks. And so longevity risk, you know, is just the possibility of living longer than planned, you know, and and that definitely means not having resources to maintain your standard of living. And I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, we're concerned about running out of money in retirement. And so definitely as we live longer, longevity risk is something to really plan for. The second is market volatility. And that's just the risk that you have poor market returns, but that they're realized, meaning that you're actually pulling money out while there is a down market. You're realizing that loss and you know selling off the stocks and locking it in. You know, obviously that leads to a reduced portfolio value. It's harder to um, rebound from that. And you know, when you take those distributions from those, you know, your investment portfolio. Um, one of the other concerns is called sequence of returns risk. And I want to talk more about this later, but that is just the order of returns, you know, negative returns, positive returns, and the order that you hit them during your retirement years. And then finally, you know, spending shocks, um, you know, the third risk is just that, you know, you have expensive bills, um, you know, like long-term care, healthcare, things that you didn't plan for um, that really could blow up your portfolio. Good recap of those risks. I'm wondering if you can maybe go into a little more detail about that sequence of returns risk that you mentioned. That sounded like something that'd be good to good to get a few more details on. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, we say managing risk is one of the most important issues, you know, in retirement. And the aspect of getting some negative returns, um, especially, you know, in those final years approaching retirement in those first few years in retirement, you know, negative returns can be really, really hurtful up front, but not so much later years in retirement. Once your portfolio has still had a chance to grow, um, you know, it can take those, those negative, you know, down years. And so, you know, one of the things that I always like to illustrate, you know, with my clients is, is to tell them the story of Billy and Sally and Tom and Alice. And so I want to share that with our listeners. And, you know, Walter, I'm going to send you a link and we'll put this up um, in the show notes as far as a visual. But basically, we have Bill and Sally. We have one couple that retires and they are going to retire with 500,000 in retirement savings. They've done a great job of saving. And, you know, they're going to need $25,000 a year in retirement in addition to Social Security and pensions. And so the first year that they retire, they get a minus 27% rate of return in the market. And so their portfolio drops and they take that 25,000 out for expenses. And then the next year is down too. It's not a good year in the market. They're down 16 and a half percent. And then the third year, you know, it's not as bad, but it's down like minus 1%. And so after the first three years in retirement, their $500,000 balance is cut in half to $236,000. What a shock to only get three years in retirement and half of your money is gone. No kidding. And so even after those first three years, you know, they're down. So they have a couple of good years, right? So they're up 3%, they're up 10%, you know, 7%. They have good years, but in about 13 years, by age 78, that portfolio is down to zero. 
because of those negative returns so early on in retirement and seven by age 78, right? So that that is terrible. And so if you compare that to the story of Tom and Alice that also retired with $500,000 in savings, also needed $25,000 a year out of that portfolio, but they got lucky. They got a few years of positive returns the first few years in retirement. So the first year in retirement, they get a 26% rate of return. And then they get a 10% and then they get a 4%. And then later on in later years, they get the same bad years. They get a minus 27, they get a minus 16%, but they never run out of money. They go all the way to age 95 and they still, even with spending $25,000 a year index for inflation, they still have approximately $980,000 left in their balance. And so they didn't do anything different other than the rates of return, the order that they got those, the sequence was different. And that all comes into something that is out of our control, you know, you know, regardless of what a good portfolio we have. And so that is sequence of returns risk. And and there is ways to plan and make that better. And that is where the volatility buffer comes into play. Okay. So yeah, what is, can you give us more detail then on what that volatility buffer is? Because that's helpful if we can plan for this kind of unpredictable element. Absolutely. And, and a lot of people have never heard of a volatility buffer. I say that and they, they stare at me and go, huh? And a volatility buffer is just a section of your portfolio or a different bucket, I like to call it, that acts as a shock absorber in case of some short-term market declines for the sequence of return risk that we're talking about. And so for the first couple, if they had a negative year, you know, we're not going to tap into the stock market bucket. We're going to go into this volatility buffer and pull money out and let your stock market investment account rebound. We're not going to hurt it as much. We're not going to take money out. And so the whole idea is to have this defensive part of your portfolio that is going to be, you know, resistant um, to stock market risk or interest rate spikes, you know, or things like that. And so All it is, is that if we had a market decline for, you know, three to four years, we've got, you know, plenty of money over here to pull out our income um, and this buffer. And so that you don't have to sell your stocks and investments at the wrong time. Great uh, kind of recap of that volatility buffer timing, just so important with all of this. It's so funny because we constantly talk about on the show, not market timing, right, Carrie? But that's not what this is, but this is where something that's timing wise all of a sudden does become really important. Right. And, and and we definitely don't want to time the markets for what we get in, get out of. But I mean, this is sequence of returns risk that we don't have a lot of control on. Even if our portfolio is diversified and we, we have a good stock market portfolio, this could still be something you, you face in retirement. And so, you know, I think one of the outdated methods of, of a volatility buffer is, you know, people's perception of just holding some cash and bonds you know, having three to five years in cash and bonds. But the problem with that is we all know that, you know, CDs and bonds, you know, what what's your rate of return on those, right? They have not been good. You know, your CDs are nicknamed um, certificates of disappointment, certificates of depreciation. <laughs> um, I've heard them called lots of things. You know, my personal favorite is, is lazy money. We feel like that's lazy money because it's not working for you. Um, so we don't want this tied to, you know, the market. And so really for us, you know, good examples of a volatility buffer are going to be cash value life insurance, a fixed index annuity, home equity loans, and actually even a reverse mortgage. Um, I know a lot of people have heard, you know, some some bad things and there are some bad reverse mortgage companies out there, but you know, with the right company and the right structure, it could be really beneficial uh, you know, for the right client, even maybe a hedge fund or even gold and precious metals, because they are not tied to stock market returns. 
Very helpful to know that. Some good examples there for you to um, kind of absorb. Can you explain a little bit more? I'm sure there's going to be some interest maybe on that cash value side of things. Can you explain more as its role as a buffer asset? Because a lot of people do have uh, those you know types of policies in place, perhaps. Right. And, and this is something that, you know, we use um, cash value life insurance a lot in our planning. So it's a popular tool as a vol- volatility buffer. Um, but I was reading, there was a recent study in the Journal of Financial Planning, and it compared an investment only approach to retirement income with a strategy that also included a whole life insurance policy as a volatility buffer. Um, and this article was really interesting because it talked about the way you can take um, policy loans from the life insurance, which are tax-free retirement income. So we love that. Um, but the study showed that you know um, using that volatility buffer, it could actually support 23% more retirement spending, as well as a 53% larger legacy um, at age 100. And so we were able to, you know, increase the spending and the legacy, which is, you know, what every retiree wants to do. But it also, you know, we say it kills three birds with one stone. And so not only do you have that volatility buffer, um, but it also creates that tax-free retirement income. And then depending on how that life insurance is structured, it could also provide some long-term care benefits. And so it's a common tool that we use a lot um, in this concept. It also um, works really well with a fixed index annuity, which is also a type of insurance product, you know, through an insurance company. Great details there all across the board. Any uh, any final thoughts about the volatility buffer and having that in place for folks? Is this something that's, as they go through the planning process with you, that's easy to integrate and, and start to problem solve for? Absolutely. It's something, you know, as we do our financial plan design meeting, you know, we're going to talk and educate you about a volatility buffer. And then I ask my clients, you know, do you want me to include a, a strategy, um, you know, for you in your plan? And, and, and some people, you know, may, they may say no, you know, after taking in and say, oh, we just want investments only. And that's perfectly fine. Um, but I love to be able to show them, um, you know, what happens and how much more retirement spending we can create if they have legacy goals. Um, and a lot of people are really amazed at taking a little tiny piece of that investment portfolio and carving it out and setting it aside as this volatility buffer how that can drastically um, improve their retirement planning. Well, if you need help and some guidance on any of this, please reach out to Carrie and the team at Qureshi Law and Wealth. Here's the way to do it, 870-275-4304. That's 870-275-4304 or online at QureshiLaw.com. And we'll link to all of that in the description of today's show. And a special offer for you as well. You can get a copy of the book, Bad Advisors, How to Identify Them and How to Avoid Them. This is from Rocky Francesco, and Carrie is giving away a couple of copies of this book to our listeners. The book discloses the real motivation of many bad advisors and explains in detail why most advisors have these built-in biases that taint their advice, which can expose you to the destruction of your wealth and peace of mind if you're not careful. So make sure you're taking good advice from the right advice givers. If you want to get a copy of this book, you can request it online, again, at QureshiLaw.com or by calling the number we gave a few moments ago. And you can find links and information in the description of today's show for that. Great questions uh, to great answers, I should say. I'm not not patting myself on the back here. Great, great questions. <laughs> you do today. you do ask great questions too. <laughs> um, I I appreciate that, but no, even better answers is maybe the best way to put that. Uh, still to come on today's show, we're going to get to know Carrie a little bit better. We've got our quote of the month, and we'll answer one of our listener questions all straight ahead. First up, let's go to the quote of the month here, Carrie. 
This one comes to us from uh, Stephen Covey, an author. Your economic security does not lie in your job. It lies in your own power to produce, to think, to learn, to create, to adapt. That's true financial independence. It's not having wealth. It's having the power to produce wealth. It's a neat way of thinking about things, isn't it? It is, and it really stands out to me, you know, as as a business owner, you know, an entrepreneur, you know, it's it's not the fact that you have a job and that you work for a certain company. It's the ability to go out and create that income for yourself. Um, you know, I'm really big on investing in yourself as far as learning. I'm, I'm a constant reader. I'm always reading books on business management or marketing and really, you know, a believer in investing in yourself. And I think that this is trying to, um, is what he's trying to say. Yeah, that's a great point as well. Uh, so that's a good quote. I appreciate that one from Stephen Covey. All right, uh, now it's time to get to know Carrie a little bit better. It's getting to know you time. Well, it's time to get to know Carrie Qureshi. We come up with questions each episode uh, to kind of just get to know her away from the financial world a little bit. And this is a two-parter this month, Carrie. Uh, what did you want to be when you were small? Like, what did you want to be when you grew up, uh, when you were little? And then uh, I know you've, you know, your kids, what, what do they want to be? What does your child want to be when, when she grows up? You know, Walter, I think I remember I had a piece of artwork when I was little. And I, I think I wanted to be a librarian at first. Like I remember like my crude handwriting, okay. you know, and I had all these books because I love to read as a little girl and I still love to read. And so I think I wanted to be a librarian. And then I think at some point that switched and I wanted to be a veterinarian because I did love, love animals and, yeah. and growing up with the horses. Um, obviously didn't, you know, didn't do that. Didn't ever know I was going to be an attorney and, and wealth advisor. Um, but I definitely feel like that's, that's the good fit for me now. But what about you? What did, what did you want to be when you were little? You know, I pretty much always wanted to be a broadcaster and in some sort of radio. Like when I was a kid, I was broadcasting sports while I played goalie. Um, <laughs> like I would sit back there and call the game in my head while I was playing all the sports that we were doing. So I was pretty much always my focus was to be in something in, in radio or TV, some sort of broadcasting element. So that's pretty much always been I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I kind of wanted to do growing up. So, yeah, that, that's wonderful, because I feel like a lot of people like there's like like me, it, it changes over the years. And so not many people know from an early uh, age yeah. that that's really what they're meant to do. Well, now you're seeing your kid kind of go through that same process. So what uh, what do they want to be when they grow up? Well, you, you know, what's funny is, is he may go into your industry, Walter, ah, um, because okay. he right now, so he's nine, he'll be 10 in, in the fall. Um, but he wants to be a, a professional YouTuber. So ah. not, not exactly radio, but YouTube. But is, uh, updated is, for today's generation. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so he likes to do, he, he'll comment um, on his game. So he plays like Minecraft and Roblox. And so he'll watch the YouTubers. He'll have that pulled up because he's got like dual screen. We built him a gaming computer and stuff. So he wants to be a YouTuber, but his problem right now is he's so into playing video games that he is not actually recording videos and and putting them on youtube um like he's supposed to do so but he still tells everybody he's going to be a professional youtuber nice uh that is uh <laughs> that is that is today's dream or is, i guess instead of being a i don't know if that's more equitable to like being a sportscaster maybe or is that today's like I want to be a movie star. You could just be a YouTube star. Like everybody just wants to be that. I think so. I think it is a yeah. little bit of celebrity, um, you know, yeah. stuff in it, right? Because everybody knows your name and you've got your own channel. So yeah, maybe. Yeah, that is too funny. I'm sure that unfortunately there's a lot of competition for that job and for that in that yes. space. But yeah, he better but get busy. <laughs> at least it's a very accessible space. 
So anybody can do it, you know, if you've got the right uh, the right niche and the right uh, equipment and the creativity. Like there's very low barrier of entry into it. So it does create a lot of competition, but it does mean that anybody can try and make it happen. So hey, yeah. more power to him. Go for it. Uh, maybe we'll say we knew him when at some point in time. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, thanks for sharing that with us, Carrie. Now it's time to get to know our listeners a little bit better. We've got a good mailbag question this week from Steve. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. So Steve is in Batesville and says, I'm thinking about having my mom sign her house over to me so that she won't have to sell it if she goes into the nursing home and runs out of money. Is this a smart move? Mm, Walter, we get this question a lot. And and the answer is, it depends. Mm -hmm. Um, Typical lawyer answer. Um, But what a lot of people need to realize is if this is her home, if this is her primary residence, it is exempt from Medicaid qualification. Okay. So she can still get qualified if she meets all the other, you know, aspects of Medicaid. And so if she gifts it to you, if she, you know, signs it over and puts it in your name, um, what was an exempt asset has now become a penalty transfer. And your mother would actually get penalized for that transfer, uh, assuming it was within the Medicaid five-year look back. And and that's basically Medicaid looks back the past five years before um, your Medicaid application says, have you given anything away or transferred anything less than fair market value? And so you could actually do more damage than good by this strategy. And so this is why there's just so many factors in Medicaid long-term care planning. Um, It really makes sense to talk to um, an elder law a long-term care planning specialist to understand what is her exact situation? When does she need the care? You know, is, does she need to go and qualify for Medicaid, you know, in the next six months? Is she in good health? And we're like trying to plan out, you know, way down the road. Uh, but this is something that a lot of people just think is an easy fix. And we're just going to deed over the house. Um, and, and again, she can cause way more damage than, than good here. Yeah, no kidding. This one has, uh, we talk about tax implications or fees, penalties, and making the wrong moves, what can happen? This one has uh, some really yeah. big tax tax issues for mm-hmm. you. There could be asset protection. I mean, if you were in a lawsuit, you know, for the the, call, the caller, mailbag caller, um, you know, if he, he could lose the home if he were sued, you know, and then you're, you know, the poor mom doesn't have an asset anymore. Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of, you know, a lot of moving parts here. Yeah, very true. So Steve, definitely get some further assistance. Uh, this is going to be one of those things, person to person, case by case basis, definitely going to impact the right answers here and uh, the options that you have available to you. So make sure you really take a close look at that. Uh, again, this is the importance of integrating that financial and legal and as well as your life planning. This is a type of question that involves all three of those elements. And that's the kind of planning that Carrie and her team do at Qureshi Law and Wealth. That's what makes them unique, looking at that full picture. So if you want to get in touch, again, the number is 870-275-4304. Hopefully the information has been helpful to you on today's show. If you have any questions, comments, or want to talk about getting together with Carrie and the team, you can also reach out online at QureshiLaw.com. And all that contact info is in the description of today's show. So it's easy for you to find no matter what app you're using to listen to the show today. Uh, Carrie, thank you for all of the help on the program. Really enjoyed it. And uh, we'll chat with you again next month. All right. Thank you so much, Walter. Have fun with that pool in the meantime. (laughs) We'll uh, talk to everybody next time right back here on Smart Simple Wealth. For Carrie, I'm Walter. Take care. Did you know you can subscribe to the Smart Simple Wealth podcast with your favorite app? 
It's on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and dozens of other places where you listen to podcasts. And if it's not on an app you'd like to use, let us know and we'll get it on there. To make sure you never miss an episode, just search Smart Simple Wealth on your favorite podcasting platform today and subscribe. Investment advisory services offered through Pegasus Wealth Coaching, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Legal services provided by Qureshi Law Firm, PLLC. The Qureshi Law Firm and Pegasus Wealth Coaching are not affiliated in any way. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and are not intended as investment or legal advice. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Consult your financial professional before making any investment decision. Information provided does not create an attorney-client relationship and cannot substitute for obtaining legal advice from an attorney admitted to practice law in your state.